Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. I'm going to preface this message with it's really been prayed over. It's not that I ever present a message that's not prayed over. I just want you to know that I bring this to you this morning out of a clear responsibility from the Lord to bring this message to you. And uh, it is a PG-13 message, parents. So I already gave you the opportunity to let your kids go out. Um, I'm going to be biblical, but it's PG-13 biblical, just so you're aware in the service this morning. You can see the title to the message, Dancing with the Devil While Holding on to the Sacred. And I th- you can probably read from the title while, why we are taking communion later. While reading some of the tedious detail in Numbers in the Old Testament, I came across that section of Scripture which details the setup of the tabernacle or the, really it's the breakdown of the tabernacle. More specifically, what a certain part of the tribe of Levi would perform as their duties. And while doing so, a glaring truth poured out of these chapters that sparked the title in me. You see, it was necessary that God give exact detail through Moses to these men in order for them to live while performing holy tasks. I'm going to repeat that last part because you're listening, but I'm not sure you heard what I just said. In order for them to live while performing holy tasks. If they failed in the smallest detail, it would cost them their life. There was no middle ground. No makeup tests. No second chance. Just the cold hand of death and this while doing God's work. I realize this is a tough way to start a message. Not a exactly a Labor Day pick-me-up message. You're all looking forward to relaxing tomorrow and such things, but again, I'm compelled by Holy Spirit to deliver this message 
the truth that became so vivid to me is that on the whole, we as a church have become too casual relating to God. We're treating God like he's one of our homies. Uh, For you mm, older set, like he was our buddy versus God. We do that, and, and it is the reason why you hear or see my full title. I was just going to title it Dancing with the Devil. But the problem is, We're dancing with the devil while trying to hold on to the sacred. Um, In this crowd, and this is the part where I'm staring at my notes and not at anybody, but in this crowd we will have people who have in the last month at least, if not in the last week or last day, gossiped, Cursed, spew the venom of hatred and unforgiveness. We'll also have some in here that have delved, delved in pornography. I'm going to pause there again, not looking at anybody. Do you know that statistically a Barna research group has said that 65% of Males over the age of 18 have viewed pornography in the last month. So I don't want y'all to look around, but there are more than 6 out of 10 men who have viewed pornography in a month. Others who have been drunk, some who have been high, and even those who have committed adultery or fornication. That may have even happened last night. I'm going to look up now. Thus the title, Dancing with the Devil While Holding On to the Sacred. Here you are in church this morning. and Maybe yesterday, I just named something you did. One foot in the church, one foot on the, in the world. I call it, uh, I call those people fence walkers. And so today I'm going to look at the good, or excuse me, let me get it straight. We're going to look at the bad, the ugly, and the good. And yes, that's a play on the words of the movie Clint Eastwood was in many years ago. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm repositioning the words to fit the sections of scripture I'm in. Now, it's necessary on the outset of this message that I give you the straight truth and you're going to read some detail that otherwise you would gloss over in the Old Testament. I know this because it's that boring section. It's in Numbers where he's detailing uh, things in the temple and how things would be, excuse me, the tabernacle and how they were going to be taken care of. And it's very particular and it's very detailed. And you're looking at it saying, why do I need to know all of this? And so today we're going to read a large portion of scripture and you'll understand why when I'm done. 
list all the men between the ages of 30 and 50 who are eligible to serve in the tabernacle. Let's stop for a minute and just think about what I just read. List all of the men between the ages of 30 and 50. They couldn't even serve in this capacity until they were 30 years old. Men. That means they've moved past that immature stage where, you know, some of you moms and, and, and women in general, you know, that some men, they're 35, 40 years old before they get mature. I, y'all don't have to like that and uh, nobody has to say amen. It's just an experience that I'm aware of. Don't get settled down. Don't get things figured out. They have to be 30 years old. I'll go on. The duties of the Kohathites at the tabernacle will relate to the most sacred objects. Hear that again. The most sacred objects. When the camp moves, Aaron and his sons must enter the tabernacle first to take down the inner curtain and cover the Ark of the Covenant with it. This would be a very distinct procedure. Have you ever watched at the... uh, uh, funeral of a soldier when they fold up the flag. It's very ceremonial. They don't just roll it up in a ball and hand it to someone. It's folded corner to corner over and over and over again and then tucked in properly. They, ha- they would have had to do this with the uh, fixings, if you will, of the tabernacle. Let's go to verse 6. Then they must cover the inner curtain with fine goatskin leather and spread over that a single piece of the cloth, a blue cloth. Finally, they must put the carrying poles of the ark in place. Next, they must spread a blue cloth over the table where the bread of the presence is displayed. And on the cloth, they will place the bowls, ladles, jars, pitchers, and the special bread. They must spread a scarlet cloth over all of this. And finally, a covering of fine goatskin leather on top of the scarlet cloth. Then they must insert the carrying poles into the table. Next, they must cover the lampstand with the blue cloth, along with its lamps, lamp snuffers, trays, and special jars of olive oil. Then they must cover the lampstand and its accessories with fine goatskin leather and place the bundle on a carrying frame. Next, they must spread a blue cloth over the gold incense altar and cover this cloth with fine goatskin leather. Then they must attach the carrying poles to the altar. They must take all the remaining furnishings of the sanctuary and wrap them in a blue cloth, cover them with fine goatskin leather, and place them on the carrying frame. They must remove the ashes from the altar for sacrifices and cover the altar with a purple cloth. Skipping to verse 17. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, you got to catch this part, do not let the Kohathites' clans be destroyed from among the Levites. This is what you must do so they, so they will live and not die when they approach the most sacred objects. Aaron and his sons must always go in with them and assign a specific duty or load to each person. 
The Kohathites must never enter the sanctuary to look at the sacred objects for even a moment or they will die. Everybody say, ouch. I would not want that job, would you? Not even looking. So I'm telling you, this was very distinct. It was procedural. They followed a path and a pattern. They could not depart from the path or pattern, or they would could suffer the consequences of death. Not maim, not hurting a little bit, not a slap on the wrist. Death. I told you this was bad. It is bad. Here's a, a model, a small model of the tabernacle and how it was set up. You see the surrounding courtyard, if you will. Inside that, right in the middle, looks like an open box. That was the altar where they would sacrifice the animals. It looks on the, small on this model, but if you'll see it compared to the size of cattle, you can see that it's large enough that a cow or a bull could be offered as a sacrifice on that altar. Behind it, you see the large basin. And then behind that, you see what looks like another interior tent. That is the Holy of Holies. Or the holy place. And then inside that is the Holy of Holies. And so, what must happen, and, and I need to describe a little bit of this, the duty of the Kohathites at the tabernacle will relate to the most sacred objects. Now, this is a, a better depiction. It's an actual live depiction of it. Um, and everything is normal and right and as close to they can get, can get without there being actual gold objects. And, uh, you know, the little electrical supply that's over in the bottom left-hand corner. That would not have been in the original tabernacle. Um, and, and, but you could see that they're doing their best to try to recreate what the tabernacle would have looked like that Moses and the children of Israel would have had in their encampment. As you can see, uh, let me back up here first. Um, uh, the duty of the Kohathites at the tabernacle will relate to the most sacred objects. Catch that. Their job was to take care of the most sacred objects. And really, as you can see, the Kohathites were entrusted with the responsibility for the general care and transport of the tabernacle. However, Moses, and, and only, excuse me, Aaron and his sons could enter and take down the inner curtain of the Holy of Holies. Moses and his, or excuse me, Aaron, I keep saying Moses, but Aaron and his sons were the only ones that could enter and take down the inner curtain of the Holy of Holies. By the way, catch this, Moses couldn't do it. Aaron could. Moses couldn't. Now, I want you to note the detail in the performance of their duties. Aaron and his sons were entrusted with the responsibility. Nick, hand me that little cover right there. Just the cover. Just the throw blanket, the throw cloth. 
<laughs> he was trying to hand me the whole thing. So imagine Aaron and his sons would go in to the holy place. They would take down the outer curtain first. They would take that outer curtain without looking at the ark and cover it like that. On that, they would then place not just goat skin. There were other types of leather, by the way. Fine goat skin leather, right? You can have leather, and then you can have fine leather. And God sends these instructions. Guys, you know this truth. Ladies, you know this truth. You can go buy a purse that looks leather, like leather. Then you can go buy a purse that is leather. And then you can go buy a Louis Vuitton. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and there's a difference between what you're picking up at Target... Yeah, uh, and, and going to Louis Vuitton, right? If you've ever bothered to walk in those stores, or coach, yeah, we'll go up there to Gucci too. So, they have fine leather from the finest materials. That's what God said, cover it next with that. And after that, then you put the fine cloth a single piece. God was distinct. It wasn't something that you put together. In other words, this cloth was specifically designed for this purpose alone. Three layers covering the ark. And the only thing outside of those coverings were these poles. And that's what the Kohathites were entrusted with the responsibility to pick up at the poles, not see anything, not touch anything else, just the poles. And God instructed them before the camp moves, this all has to be done. In other words, you follow the holy place in your travels. If you will listen to Holy Spirit, when you walk out your walk, you'll find yourself in a safe place doing the right things at the right time rather than following what seems good to you. This is going to get more important when you hear some more about what I'm, I'm going to say. So, a similar procedure is outlined for the table with the bread of the presence on it. There's a similar procedure throughout all of these. The reality is with the golden lampstand and the utensils, with the golden altar, and even the ashes of the altar had to be emptied, emptied properly. Notice the responsibility for conveying these truths was on Moses to Aaron and his sons. I'm going to say it this way. If we were in this list of what I just said, Moses to Aaron and his sons, that then convey the message to the Kohathites, who were just part of the Levite family. So, I'm kind of like Aaron in this case. 
I'm delivering truths to you all today to help you live and not die. And so I can warn you up front, this is going to feel bad before I get done with it. You're not walking out of here going, yippee-doo, woohoo, what a wonderful Labor Day weekend. I wish in some cases, I love preaching like Joel Osteen. I love it. I listened to him this week. I, I listened to one of his messages this week and I was like, man, I feel good. That brother makes me feel good when he preaches the word. And, and I want y'all to understand something. God has his place for men like that. I'm so thankful for Joel Osteen. There's a reason he's in the position he's in. And God has appointed him to that position. And God bless him in his work and ministry. I mean that sincerely. Because we get enough of the world that beats us up. We need some people that will encourage us and strengthen us. This is going to strengthen you in a different way, but it won't feel good in the process. I'm not apologizing. I'm just warning you. I want you to listen to the warning in verses 15, and then we already read 17 through 20, but I want to read verse 15 with you now. The camp will be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles. It'll be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have covered the sanctuary, or covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles, the Kohathites will come and carry these things to the next destination, but they must not touch the sacred objects or they will die. This isn't a suggestion, folks. This is a clear absolutely abundantly clear this isn't a translation problem don't dilute this if they touch it they will die so these are the things from the tabernacle that the Kohathites must carry only that group of the family of Levi could carry those objects not just any of the Levites only that group could carry these items The objects that indicated, hear me when I say this, intimacy with God had to be handled with great care. You see it there. I'll say it again. The objects that indicated intimacy with God had to be handled with great care. Understanding these concepts kept them alive. And as I said a moment ago, one family had to carry these objects, but not touch them or they would die. How many of you would love to have that job? Don't raise your hand. I know better. And they were connected by blood. The Kohathites couldn't go in without Aaron and his sons. They couldn't even look at the sacred objects for a moment or they'd die. One small slip could cost them their lives. This is the centerpiece of how the Israelites developed a deep sense of reverence for God. This is the centerpiece. This is what's at the center. It's how they developed a, a 
deep reverence for God. Now, remember, they're the ones, they saw the lightnings and the dark clouds on Mount Sinai when Moses was up there getting the Ten Commandments. They saw all of that and they didn't, they're like, hey, uh, you know, you tell us about God, what he says, we don't want to talk to him directly. Understanding these concepts, though, had kept them alive. Even if they accidentally saw or touched something, they'd die. Even accidentally. I know, you're thinking, that's so unfair. They were trying to do a work for God. So unfair. We live in that world that thinks we've got it all figured out. And, and we, you know, we're dividing up what we think is fair and what's not fair. Good intentions didn't matter. Y'all remember Uzzah? Uzzah, Uzzah, however you say it, use it in trouble if you touch the ark. I know that was a bad Star Wars joke. Um, Remember Uzzah, though? He tried to help steady the ark. It was looking like it was about to come off the, the card it was on. And he was just trying to help. Just trying to set, help reach up, keep it from falling. And he died. And I know you don't think that's fair, but God had made it clear absolute obedience was required. There wasn't middle ground. So I'm going to quote Pastor Stephen Furtick, he said this while I listened to it last week or the week before, I'm not sure now, but I'm not sure when he said it. I just know he said it. If you don't respond to your conscience, you'll be forced to deal with the consequences. God has put his Holy Spirit in you for a purpose. We need to learn how to respond to his Holy Spirit And listen to him, because if we don't, you're going to deal with the consequences of that decision. You will deal with it. Do you know you can be forgiven of something and you'll still pay a price? Really, you can be forgiven. God's grace is sufficient to forgive you. That does not mean you're not paying a price. You break the law, you'll go to jail. God will forgive you for breaking the law, but you're still going to jail. All right, that was the bad. It gets ugly. How do we reconcile these strict or clear guidelines in this age of grace? I know y'all are wanting me to get here. But I'm going to ask you more questions before you get answers. My job as a good preacher is to make you or to challenge you to think about the word of God. And you're going to get a bunch of that today. Is God smiling and accepting the alternative lifestyles publicly displayed today? There's a large portion of the church world that has openly embraced, especially the gay lifestyle, as acceptable. 
If something is described as sin and thus wrong, has the passing of time changed that? I know many of you are very comfortable answering that. Has this age of grace changed God's view of your sin? Including your sin as a believer. I know it's quiet in here. You can ache your way through this. Let me ask the question another way. Does your sin still grieve God? Yes. Your sin still grieves God. He's not smiling at it. He's not good with it. And so I know we live in the age of grace and, and we've heard so many messages and, and uh, you will hear me say I'm not comfortable with what has become known as hyper grace message. And I don't have time to go down the path. But I want you to hear a New Testament passage, alright? Age of Grace, New Testament, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Here it is. In the Word of God. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division... Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not apologizing for the Word of God. That is New Testament. That is the Apostle Paul. He is writing, and we get so much of our New Testament knowledge and understanding. But here's what you need, you need to catch from the historical perspective. This passage was written to the church in Galatia. You heard me right. Not the sinners in that region. To the church In Galatia, it gets even better. Paul was offended because he's the one who founded and started that church. You can be certain Paul taught them the truth. Let's look it back up a little bit to chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ You are following a different way that pretends to be. Did y'all catch that word? You're following another way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. So let me rephrase it for you. Let me help all of you young people that have been demoralized and taught something different in school or college or uh, even down to the elementary levels. Now they're teaching it at preschool levels. 
The truth of God's word is going to stand when everything else has been destroyed. Please understand something. My method and manner is very direct. And I preach with force because that's how I learned how to preach. But don't misunderstand this fact. I love you and I want you to hear these truths because I know what's being taught. I know what's being conveyed. I know what's being presented as natural, normal, and okay. But don't be deceived. Read that passage again. Take a picture of it. Keep it in front of you. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Don't you see that happening in the world around us? Don't you hear often how it's conveyed as this is the right way. This is the way of love. This is how Christ would operate. No, it isn't. This is what Christ would speak right now, today, in any church, in any place, in this entire world. Paul was offended by those he had taught the truth that were now being demoralized and following false doctrine. He was bothered by it. That's why he says it the way he said it when we first read it. From Galatians 5, I believe it was verse 20 where he said that, uh, as I have told you before, no, it wasn't 20, it was 21. As I have told you before. Look at chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Same Galatians again. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Could it be any more clear? Yet, there's a a deliberate onslaught on twisting what the Word of God actually says to make others feel comfortable in their alternative lifestyles and proclaiming this is the way of God. Don't be deceived. That's a way of death. It's destructive in its nature. You can't get around this. It's going to happen simply because you think it feels good doesn't mean it is good. You will pay a price most definitely. I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to go there yet. If you adopt this lifestyle, you are backslidden and land yourself square in hell. Just because 70% of humanity thinks it's okay does not change the Word of God one iota. I don't care if 95% of humanity says it. I don't care if 75% of the church world says it's okay. If it's not in the Word of God, it's not true. I shouldn't yell when I say that. I'm disturbed that people twist the Word of God, however. 
I'm going to make it really blunt. Specifically choosing not to look up again. If you're living with or having regular sex with someone you're not married to, you're grieving God and you will land yourself in hell. There, I said it. Now I'm going to look up and realize I'm not trying to point one of any of you out. If you've sat under me with counseling, etc., etc., you've told me your sins, God bless you. I'm not trying to point you out today. But I am telling you, there are consequences to the seeds we sow. God intended for sex to be inside of marriage. He put boundaries on it because that's the best way for it to be expressed. Imagine the plan of God is such that you would actually fall in love with a person, a single person, and you would spend the rest of your life loving that person until you die. And if you're not confused about what it would feel like if you were with somebody else, what it would be like if, if, if he or she had something different, some, their bodies were a little different. I wonder if that's different. Wonder if it's better. And so you spend your life running around trying these things and look what the destruction it brings into your life. Cause now when you finally find someone that you really are in love with and intend to spend the rest of your life, now you have to battle with what you have messed up on in the previous times. God willing, I'm, I'm gonna spend my entire life only loving one woman until I die I am lucky I'm blessed one woman all, I, I don't have to be confused about somebody else or what something else is like all I have to do is figure out how to make sure she knows I love her and that was God's plan. So you could have the joy and pleasantness of that. Now listen to me. I know there's dozens of you in this place that have been divorced and are remarried. I'm not trying to beat you up. But get yourself centered now on the one you are married to and your singular love is directed towards that person. You must be led. Well, let me get this first. The fruit of forgiveness comes out of the seed of repentance. What does this mean? That's a good word. It's in your notes, but I know Holy Spirit gave that one directly to me. The fruit of forgiveness comes out of the seed of repentance. In other words, if you're really repentant, the fruit of that will be forgiveness. What does repentance mean? It means to turn 180 degrees from the direction you are headed and go the other way. Repentance. You turn from sin and a lifestyle of sin when you come to Christ. Now, it's going to get good because I, I, I I'm not yet at the good. Hang in there with me while we're still in the ugly. Because here's the thing. You must be led by a different standard. You must be led by a different standard. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you live by a different standard. 
I'm going to take you to another passage in the New Testament. Now Ephesians 4, verse 21 and 22. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Here it is again. This is another good church Paul is writing to. Another good church. Historically, Timothy likely pastored this church as well as the Apostle John. Real Apostle John. Good church. And he's telling them not to live by their flesh, but by the Spirit. Good fruit will come out of your good relationship with Christ. I got more in the scriptures. You guys wanted me to read this when I was there earlier. Because some of you know Galatians 5. And I stopped at verse 21. You know what's coming in 22, don't you? You know what's coming in 22. Here it is. Here it is. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. In other words, you can do these things and there's no law against it. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. The sin and corruption of the world has no place in the believer's life. Even though I said it gently, it's still valuable and great truth you need to take hold of. The sin and corruption of the world has no place in the believer's life. All right, somebody say, Pastor, give us the good. It's about to get good. Can you do this right? Can you live for the Lord? Absolutely. Say, that's good news, isn't it? Listen to me when I say this. Making a mistake, tripping and falling is different from a lifestyle of sin. What Paul unfolds, that's what Paul describes, a lifestyle of sin. Walking or adopting this lifestyle of sin. And, and listen, uh, it's credited to Kenneth Hagin, sounds like something he would have said, you can't keep a bird from lighting or landing on your head, but you can sure enough keep him from building a nest. So, what does that mean? How's that translated? Making a mistake. Tripping up, even a few times, is falling is different from a lifestyle of sin. What's the dividing line? I don't know. You got to learn how to listen to Holy Spirit, though. You better learn how to do that. Learn how to listen to Holy Spirit, because is he, if He's convicting you, there's going to come a point where He won't keep convicting you. Now you've gone into the lifestyle of sin, and I don't want you to land in hell. So 
you figure out how to turn around, how to do true repentance. God recognizes that we are vulnerable to sin and even anticipates it by offering grace and forgiveness. That's what he did through Jesus on the cross. He anticipates our vulnerability. He understands our humanity. But don't don't mistake the part you play in getting your life right with Christ. There are moments you simply have to make a choice. Because His grace and forgiveness does not excuse us from choosing the fruit of righteousness versus the passions of the flesh. That is such a powerful word. Thank you, Pastor. That was awesome. Tomorrow you will be faced with choices. Most of us will have a piece of corn on the cob Some of us will put a little bit of margarine on it. Maybe a lightly salted bit. More of us will slather on butter till every crevice is seeping with it. Then apply salt or various other seasonings. Perhaps we could even put some mayonnaise and Parmesan cheese and... Am I there yet? It may be roasted over a grill and just seething with... Some of y'all are saying, oh, shucks, right now. You know what I'm talking about. So, you have a choice, right? Because many of you, like me, will be thinking about this. And a few of you will go, yeah, I really want it that way, but I'm just going to enjoy the corn on the cob straight up. Because I know that that moves right through the body, doesn't give me really any calories. I'm just doing that. <laughs> yeah, you can count on, I can count all three of you on one hand. Um, we have choices, and you have to do that with your spiritual life, your walk with God. Because here's what it comes down to. When it comes to God, we have to choose not to grieve God. It's a choice. Choose not to grieve God. Ephesians 4.30 puts it this way, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, he's got a good plan for you. He's got a good plan for you. He plans on you making it into eternity good to go. You're sealed by Holy Spirit. But you can ignore him. You can grieve him. 
clearly living in an age that people think their own ways equate to God's plans and desires. They convince themselves that if it feels right, it must be right. I came into my own in the 70s. I was born in 61, so came into my own in the 70s, and that's when they came out. You remember this, don't you, Santos? If it feels good, he answered properly. That's what the, that was our slogan back then. If it feels good, do it. And so that's what we've begun to adopt. And so I apologize for us giving you all that slogan. That doesn't make it right just because it's old. Doing what makes you feel good or what you think is right makes as much sense as your five-year-old telling you a handful of gummy worms is as good for them as a handful of broccoli. You know better. As a parent, you know what that means. As an adult, you know and understand the difference. But that five-year-old, this is what feels good. I want the gummy worms. I'll even eat the sour ones, Mom. The deciding factor in our actions is the Word of God, not our feelings. Amen, preacher. Say it again. That's the deciding factor. It's not your desires. Not your sinful nature. It's the Word of God, not our feelings. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. We live in that age. Where people follow deceptive spirits, they are deceivers by nature, and their intent is destruction or destroying you or preventing you from making it to heaven. Dying and early death. Getting liver disease because you've drunk so much alcohol your liver can't handle it. Getting lung disease because you've smoked cigarettes and such things that are harmful to your body. Or, or where, you know, where I grew up in the South, everybody chews and spits. Get the can. I know that grosses some of y'all out, but that's what we grew up around. A spittoon was a part of the household. Y'all had ashtrays, we had spittoons. Be careful where you step. Amy and I, when we were in Bible college, we'd go to an old lady, oh, not an old lady, an old person's home, whatever they're called. Old folks, there's a better word than old folks' home. (laughs) Senior living center. There we go. Sorry. In the age of political correctness. So we were there in ministry. And there was this one lady. Now, I'm not telling them about the bad one you want me to tell them about. But just this one elderly lady that she would sit there. And now she dipped snuff. Let me tell you all what snuff is. There's a difference. Snuff is fine tobacco. 
So think of the consistency of an espresso uh, kind of coffee, where it's fine. And she, this is, I'm saying a 90-year-old woman would have it right here in her, you know when you're 90 years old and your teeth don't work right? It dribbled right down her chin. She had a spot on her, because she wore a full-league dress, right in it, where's she sitting? Right up, just it dripped right down there. Because it's like, you know, you can't hold it all in, drooling. And there it is. And you're like, oh, well, bless God. But she's 90 years old. So what else has she got in life? So let her enjoy her snuff would be my thoughts. But, but people get, they get mouth, jaw, cancer in here because of that stuff. God's trying to prevent you from participating in things that ultimately destroy or rob you of life. I could tell y'all more, but y'all don't have time for all that. Let me just say, though, a 70-plus-year-old woman sent me a letter. And she really liked me. She wanted to enjoy time with me. Now, I'm already in love with this woman right here. She's 70 plus years old. And, yeah. It was a scented letter. So, y'all know, there was intent in that letter. (laughs) Well, here we go. Let's move on. I don't know that I could convey a more important truth to you than what is said right now on the screen. The message of grace doesn't just include God's ability to forgive you, but also God's ability to help you overcome your fleshly weaknesses. Please. Get out of this one-track grace mind that it's only about you being forgiven when you've messed up. Grace includes the ability. Hear this preacher say it. Grace of God is sufficient to keep you from sin as much as it is to forgive you of sin. You don't have to walk in sin. I can prove it from the Scriptures before I'm done. I will. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That includes giving you the strength to overcome sin. That's the word of God. When Paul's stating, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it's the same guy that in Romans writes about the fact of his flesh and his spirit in this turmoil and in the back and forth. The things I would do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Paul said this too. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He comes out on the side of victory over sin. Same supernatural power that saved you is the same supernatural power that will keep you 
I'm going to let you fill in the blanks. And then I'll take you to the scripture. I'm going to John 14, 26. Write that down underneath the, your, your last thoughts there on that page. John, the gospel, chapter 14, verse 26 reads this way. But helper, the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody say, he's my helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is talking now. There's one of those Trinity scriptures. If you didn't pick up on that, come on. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Jesus is talking. There's the, there's the Trinity right there. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I got one more. This is from Romans 8, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by uh, its dictates, you will die. If you live by your flesh or your sinful nature's dictates, you will die. This is New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul, again, writing to a church. But if, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I'm going to let you stay seated for just a minute. But I do want you to bow your head and close your eyes. This message is clearly to believers. If it's possible that you walked through those doors today, you came into the church today, and you are not in a right relationship with Christ, but before you leave, you know you need to get things right with God. You, you, you want to come into a right relationship with Christ. You're here right now. Say, that's me, preacher. I want to get things right with God. Lift your hand right where you are. I'm going to give you believers a moment later, but this is for those who are not walking with Christ currently. Now I'm going to move to you believers. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning, You've heard this word, and somewhere along the way, something I said gained your full attention, and you realize that I've grieved the Holy Spirit, I've participated in something that I know makes God unhappy, I've upset the Lord, as it were, in my actions, I've done something or participated in something that I know better than doing so, but I did it. I want you to lift your hand right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. Just say, I want to get things right with God today. I'm a believer. I love the Lord. But I've got some mess at my doorstep. Go ahead, lift it up. Thank you for your honesty. 
come on, I'm waiting a moment longer. I'm waiting for you believers. That you, I'm not challenging whether you love the Lord. What I am challenging is whether or not you have let stuff creep into your life. You've opened the door to some area and you know it grieves God. And you want forgiveness. I'm not the one giving it to you. But I want you to recognize that you need it. One more time, if that's you, lift your hand. Thank you. I'm going to ask if everyone would stand now. Inside of the table of communion, it's where we really recognize grace, the work of God. And I wanted you all to see this in this very, I laid it out as plainly as I possibly could. I wanted you to see the Old Testament principles and how, how God taught us through Moses in this case that it's important to have reverence for God and, and count what he calls holy as holy and not view it through the lens of our corrupted mindset and realize that it that he comes right over in the New Testament and he lays out so many things that we're casual with, with. we will gossip we will envy be envious we will slander people we will uh, view or spew the venom of hatred we will operate in unforgiveness and act like that's okay it's not okay I know you know that adultery and fornication, you know that's wrong. And we still do that. Pornography and such things. I know that you know you shouldn't be doing it, but you can't figure out how to not do it. Going out and getting drunk. and Some of these, it's not acceptable. It's not okay. But you can be forgiven. And if you truly repent, which means turn away from and go the opposite direction, God's grace is sufficient to keep you then. Just as well as sufficient to forgive you because you messed up. Let's take a minute. Just take a minute. Those of you who raised your hands, several of you did. Take a minute. Tell God how sorry you are for your sin. Some of you didn't raise your hand and you know you should have. Come on, take a minute. and Say, God, I, I'm sorry. I repent of my sins. I need you to forgive me, Lord. I'm truly sorry because I have grieved you.
Take the communion items so you should have them in your hand. If there's a chance you came in and you don't have them, you need these. Our ushers are looking right now for you. Mario is coming up the center aisle. Just wave at him. He'll make sure you have one. <coughs> uh, before you start to open anything, I just let me please make clear for you. If you heard the first part of the message... And the reality is you've not made things right with God. Don't dare open this thing. Just don't do it. I, I can't convey it more strongly than I did through the word of God. This is not something you play with. But if you've asked God to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart, then by all means pick this up and get ready to open it. If you're still not in the right place, Make it right now. But don't treat it lightly. Treat it like your life depends on it because your life does. If I've instilled a little fear in you today, then I'm going to say, okay, good. Because you've been, you've been get, given a whole load of the lightweight stuff that's going to end you in hell. I'm trying to get you or snatch you out of the devil's hand and get you into heaven. When I get there, I expect to see you there. Jesus didn't waste His blood. He shed His blood by intent. If things are not right between you and God, you ask Him right now to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart. Dedicate, say, I'm yours now, Lord. Before you start partaking of this. Keep a hand free, Brother Santos. And pray before we begin this. Father, Son, Father, go ahead. Father, we thank you. Be the implements, Lord. The bread and the wine. We ask the Lord to sanctify now as your mother, As we partake into our life. We heard the message. And we're clear in our hearts. In our minds. Thank you. And we thank you, Lord. Thy grace that Hallelujah. Now just begin to remove the little saran exterior. Gotta be a little careful. Don't peel back the foil. Just a little plastic. Expose the wafer. Jesus sitting with his disciples said, This is my body, this represents my body. Break off a piece of it. And when you eat this, remember me. Now listen, if you've got some kind of pain in your body, something you need God to do, great place for God to heal you right now as you recognize the full work of Jesus on your behalf. Let's partake together. Now carefully peel back the foil section of this. This now representing the blood of Jesus. Jesus lifted a cup after supper. He said, now this is a new covenant I have with you. 
Without the remission of sin, or the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Without God sending His only Son so that He would die on the cross and shed His blood, you couldn't know real forgiveness. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's partake together. All right, somebody help me praise the Lord this morning or this afternoon. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Your grace is sufficient. I can know forgiveness. I am free from sin because you gave me the power, Lord. You made it possible that I could overcome. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now listen, folks. Y'all go slather up a piece of corn on the cob and enjoy it in grace. Hallelujah. Love you, folks. And pick up some good stuff for dessert on your way out today. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here in taking the gospel, not only to the Lehigh Valley, but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.